The message tonight comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. It reads like this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is a blessed word from our Lord. Thank you, Steve Riggs. If you'd come on up. If you guys would, if, let's bow. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that uh, God's word goes forth tonight, that uh, God speaks to us through this time. So, Riggs, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here tonight, God, to worship you, to lift your name high, to hear from your word, which is perfect, which is inerrant, which never lets us down, which will never be wrong. God, we're grateful that we have your word, and I pray tonight that you would speak to us through it. God, that you would use the words um, that Rick says to us from your word to impact our lives, that we walk out of here transformed, that we leave this place tonight different than how we came. I pray that you would use this time, God, as we seek to to, uh, confess sin to you before Uh, we come around your table, I pray that you would reveal things to us that we need to confess. I pray that you would um, show us areas of our lives that we maybe haven't turned completely over to you. God, use that time um, to grow us closer to you, to reveal things to us. Ultimately, God, that you would be glorified and that people would see you in us and that they would be changed because of it. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Can you guys hear me? All right. So uh, before I begin, um, about a month ago, about a month and maybe a half ago, uh, basically God wrecked my world. Um, uh, Some stuff happened and my heart started to just hurt and I started reaching out to people and it just seemed like we were all hurting. We were just all hurting people and we're all dealing with things. And, uh, but uh, like a week goes by, um, and I'm going to class. So I get up and I'm going to class and I got like two minutes left. So I do that thing that you do where you kind of like speed walk, but you like act like you're doing good. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I was, I was kind of late. So I was moving and I see Jerry. And, uh, so of course I kind of slowed down and act like I'm doing all right. And I'm like, Hey Jerry. And he says, Hey, Hey Rigatoni, are you uh, ready to preach next first Wednesday? I was like, shoot. He was like, yeah, you're, you're preaching next first Wednesday. It's, it's on the schedule. Um, uh, can you do it? And I was like, 
yeah, like I can do it, but like, what am I preaching it on? Uh, and the last thing he says before I, I go to class, he goes, yeah, just preach on whatever, whatever God has on your heart. And as I turned around, I kid you not, I was just like, we're going to be here a while <laughs> because <laughs> I got a lot on my heart. A lot has been going on. It just seems like during this, this last month, uh, so much has happened. Um, seems like the more that you press into your closest friends, uh, your family members, there's always something just, there's a tension in our hearts, this heaviness. This church itself, there's so many stories of people just hurting. I got friends here who they have super close teachers that they passed away. I have people who just can't seem to focus because temptation is just on their heels. I got people who their family members are in the hospital and it's not doing well. Seems like we just have a heaviness. And in this, in this passage, 1 Peter, it talks about suffering. It talks about suffering, how to deal with it. But it's, in that context, it's specifically talking uh, about persecution of the church. During that time, nobody could walk out and just praise God or praise Jesus. They couldn't just go to church and said it had to be kind of secretive because if someone found out, they'd be persecuted, they'd be thrown into jail, they'd be mocked, they'd be spit on, they'd be disowned by their family and their friends. This is what he's talking about. But as I look here in this room, as I, I've, I've heard stories, it's very real, the persecution of the world. And that stuff still happens today. But how much more prevalent is the persecution of our souls. Seems like the devil is just on our backs this evening, and we just hurt. And so I want to talk about what do we do? How do we wrestle with this question of why? Why is this happening? And so we turn to 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, as we tackle the title or the, the topic of sharing in Christ's suffering. Sharing in Christ's suffering. Sharing in Christ's suffering. Just to start out, it says in verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. This brings me to my first point, do not be surprised. I mean, it's right there in the text. Um, I, all my points are like this. It's straightforward. I don't, I'm not creative. I don't have these mnemonic devices to keep in your mind. Um, but instead, it's just coming straight from the text. That way, if, if this sermon, if this passage resonates with you, you can turn back to it, and you can see exactly what it means. So the first point is do not be surprised. Just this idea in itself brings us all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis. You see, the reason why we long so much to just be out of this world, the reason why we hurt so much is because we were never created for it in the first place. We were, man, 
longs to be out of suffering because we were never created for it. And so we turn to Genesis and we look at the first man. We look at the garden, this heavenly place where Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship. There was no hurt. There was no pain. In fact, Adam, he loved working. He loved it. There, there was no toil. And they were in perfect harmony, perfect communion with God. There was joy. There was happiness. There was peace. We were never created for pain. But you see what happened was the serpent, Satan comes into the scene and the first temptation appears and Adam and Eve as representations of us, we had all done the same. They fell and sin was released into the whole world. Sin was released into the whole world and now we can look. It's not very hard to to see the pain. It's not hard to, to hear the stories of people that are hurting. And it's all because it's all because sin was released into the world and we were never created for it in the first place. And so we kind of sometimes ask ourselves, like, why is this happening? Well, if we look at the, the curse that happens, the first curse that God gives to, uh, he says it to Satan himself, to the serpent, And verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. From the very, he says, there will be enmity between God's people, the children of the woman and the children of the devil. There'll be forever enmity, anger, this just wrath between God's people and the people of the devil, the God's people in the world. It says the children of obedience versus the children of disobedience. The people who work at the, who, who live in the light, who are the salt of the earth. The world will forever hate and question these people. If you don't believe me, just look at Jesus. Jesus enters the scene and he lives perfectly perfectly holy. He does everything to perfection. He is peaceful. He gives grace. And the world hates him for it. And as his followers, we are called to do just the same, to love this world, even though it hates us. Even though they falsely persecute us, they, they, they come up with whatever just, just because we're trying to show kindness to them. We're, we're still called to love them just the same. And if we look at, if we look at Jesus' life, it seems like he just went through every, every trial just perfectly, right? It seems like someone comes up, some demon comes up to him, and he's just like, banish, like, just go, you know? And then he comes to the end of the story, and he The night before Jesus is crucified, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and we see the heaviness that we can so relate to. He looks onto this world, and he would so rather just be home. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in this world, 
so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Can you, not, can you hear the, the hurt where like the longing of just to go back to see his father? But at the same time, he's in here so that we may have the joy. So that we may, may have joy even in the midst of suffering. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Is it not interesting that he doesn't, he doesn't say if they go through suffering, it's when they do, would you protect them? This is, this is what we do. And if you're a Christian and you face that, the, the thoughts are at your head, whatever the, the bad news hits once more, we must remember, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. The next verse goes on and we reach our second point. Rejoice in Christ and the coming of Christ. Don't be surprised, but instead rejoice. But you say, hold up. We're in this fiery trial. The last thing that I want to do is to smile. The last, time, the last thing I want to do is to rejoice. To rejoice. See, I think a lot of us in here, if you're like me, whenever I first read this, I, I hear the fiery trial, and I think of just, just like a blacksmith beating uh, some piece of metal into, into a sword or something. It, we, we, we think of ourselves as just a piece of metal in which God, the blacksmith, is just heating us up and banging us into submission, banging us into how he wants us, banging us into conformity. And this is not at all that picture. Instead, it's more like the crafting of a gem. A diamond must go through intense amount of heat, intense amount of pressure, in order for one day it will be released into the world and the greatest diamonds, the biggest diamonds, are the ones that take the longest to cool. This is the picture of that intense amount of heat. That is the fiery trial that we go to. One day it will be good once more. And so during it, we must rejoice. We must rejoice. And so far as we share Christ's suffering and that you may also rejoice and be glad when he is glorified. So I want, I want, I want to take a, take a second, and if you're like me, I, I'm a very big, very, very big nerd. I don't look like it, but I am. Uh, I love Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, the whole nine yards, and one of my favorites is Lord of the Rings. Whenever I think of suffering, I immediately think of Frodo in the ring. Frodo is this, this this hobbit or this guy who lived in the Shire, and everything was well. He just partied, and he was chilling. He was having a good time. But then he got wrapped up in this adventure, and there was a turning point where everyone was arguing about who was going to take up, who was going to take up the suffering of the ring and go into basically hell and, def- and throw the ring into Mount Doom to defeat it. And Frodo steps up and says, I will do it. And a bunch of people gather around him and says, we're going to help you through it. And so 
he goes through this huge adventure of an immense amount of suffering, everything that you can think of. He's with his buddies, and a bunch of orcs come and they fight or whatever. And then the dragons come and they fight or whatever. And then people in his own group start betraying him, and he's hurting. And then they, they get split up, and all he has is one buddy, one buddy named Sam who's pressing him forward. We can do this. Just think about what's going to come at the end of the, side, the other side. Think about what's going to happen when everything becomes brand new. The only thing that got him through was the people beside him that was pushing him forward. Even when everything seemed to be at his back, when that ring seemed so heavy that he couldn't even stand. He had people beside him. And it's so great, it's so amazing to know that the person that's beside us, the person who is in us, will never leave us. Jesus Christ is in us, and he's the one that gets us through. This is why we rejoice. We rejoice because we're in him in the suffering. The first, the, we, we can rejoice in the presence of God now. Presence of God now. We have been redeemed. We can rejoice because his presence is with us. We can open up the Bible and, and how rich, how sweet the Bible tastes when we're at just at our end. When nothing else seems to satisfy us. We just can't seem to distract us uh, distract ourselves anymore, we can open up the Bible and it just comes alive. When we pray in those moments, God just seems to dance in our minds. When we throw on worship, oh, how our, our spirit is lifted up when just a moment ago it just felt so heavy. We can rejoice because he's there with us. His presence is here now. But it continues, and it says, also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We can also rejoice because of the fullness of God's presence that's coming. The fullness of God's presence. Oh my gosh. How I long to be with my Savior once again. How I long to be at the pearly gates where my Savior is waiting for me. Oh, I, I, I can't even put to words how amazing that, scene, that it sounds. Just a month ago when it just, everything just seemed one after another. Oh, how my, my whole body would dance at the thought of being there once again. To see him in his fullness, wrapped up in his pearly robes, in his crown, and seeing all who he is. We can rejoice knowing that this is now, but that's, that's not yet. One day, it will all be made new. No pain will be here once more. Oh, tears will no longer, everything will be made new. And we can rejoice at the longing for that, at the coming of that. That's his promise Jesus Christ is the hero, not us. We can rejoice because Jesus is going to come again. There's a, there's, a, there's a commentator that says this. It says, 
Suffering enables us to focus on the eternal realities that alone will last and to recognize a positive purging value of that test that afflicts us. There's something about There's something about when we hurt that makes us focus on the eternal realities, makes us think of our God above who's even more real than what's around us. And so we're called to rejoice. And this doesn't mean you have to put up a, a fake smile all the time. You know, Christians, that's, that's what we're known for, right? Coming into church and when everyone says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. That's not what it's talking about. It's not just talking about being happy all the time. No, instead, rejoice is being thankful, having a peace because his presence is with us and it's coming again. The third point I have for you is suffer as a Christian, do what is right. The majority of this passage is talking about this point. In fact, it starts off by saying, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering. And then it, then it says, don't, don't suffer like a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And then it says, for it is time for judgment for the household of God. This judgmental language that we will be judged. Suffer as a Christian and do what is right. Maintain your holiness. When we pursue God's holiness, when we suffer and it makes us turn to God, oh, how the world questions us. Oh, how much more glory is given to God during those moments, during that time. Think of it like this. There's two people, one named Frank and one named Samuel. Why? Because Frank's first and, sec- and Samuel's second, okay? Uh, so Frank is a man who's a hardworking man. He loves his family. He does everything that he can to support them. But financially, they are hurting. He's constantly thinking about how food's going to be on the table and there's one night that he gets to his, to, his, to his family and he realizes that there's no food to feed them. And he struggles because he knows he, he has to support them. He wants them to be happy. He, he wants the best for them, but he just doesn't know what to do. And so coming home from work one day, he goes across a grocery store and he goes in there and he steals just a little bit, just a little bit of food, just some, just some breads, just, just something so that they could be happy. And so he takes them back, and the family is, he sees the, the children and their face glow because they finally have some food to, to put in their belly. But all the while, he knows that just, he feels this guilt. Weeks go by, and he faces the same, same temptation he, again, he comes to this point where he's just like, I, I want the best for my family, and I want to see that smile again. And so he goes and steals just a little bit more. 
and he takes us to his family. And the cycle goes on and on. But he's a Christian, and every single time he repents, but he just doesn't know what else to do. This is Frank. Now think of Samuel. He's in the same exact, exa- same exact circumstance. He, he's a hardworking man, but everything, he, just, he wants to put food on his table for his family. And one day he's going across to the grocery store and he sees it and he thinks how much easier it would be. And I, he imagines the smile that would be on their face. But instead, he goes, he goes home to his family and he breaks up just little pieces for each of them. And as he hears the gurgle in their stomach, he talks about to his family how much they have to be thankful for, that they're together, that they're with each other, that God has never left them. And that cycle goes on and on and on. You see, both Frank and Samuel are in the same exact circumstance. They're both Christians, and they both go to God. But you see how Samuel... He's showing the glory of God so much more. People look at him and they, they question, why are you doing that? Isn't it so much easier to just, just steal a little bit? It's all by the, the glory of God, the strength of God. It's all so that he can teach his family that there's more than just this, this earthly world. And so we suffer as a Christian. We do what is right. We pursue holiness Why? Because it gives the glory to God. We must rely on the strength of God. And by doing that, the world must see our God. And so we must pursue holiness and righteousness in Christ. But whenever we see judgment, it's not just ourselves, but then we see others. You see, we must pursue our own holiness, but also pursue the lost. There's something, whenever we hurt the most and we're just so heavy, that it makes us look to the people who are doing this just the same, who are in the same spot as we are, but don't have the love of Jesus in their life. That are just trying to distract themselves and trying to do whatever they can to, to get their mind off of it. It makes us hurt for them. It makes us empathize with them. And our Our call is to go and comfort them, to be with them. We can use our time of suffering to go out and be with them, to empathize with them. Heaviness in the spirit motivates Christians to empathize with the world. Another way to put this is maintain a purpose-driven Christ-centered, evangelic zeal for the church and the lost. Maintain a purpose-driven. We're called as, as Christ's followers to go out into the world, make disciples, to be a light to the world and salt of the earth. This is our call. This is our purpose, to make God known. Maintain a purpose-driven, Christ-centered. He's the center. We don't bring anyone to salvation. We don't bring anyone to fulfillment or, or joy. It's all Christ. We do it all for Christ and we do it all in him. And have an evangelic zeal for the church and the lost. Let there just be an overwhelming passion for those people. Make it want, whenever you have that longing and just this heaviness, 
make, want you to make that call to the person who you know is doing the same exact thing, but they don't know what to do. They, they, they don't have someone to talk to. They, they don't know where to read in the Bible. They make it, it should make you want to go to those people, have a passion to comfort them and to show them the love of Jesus Christ. I want to end with the last verse. And this verse, verse 19, is basically a summary of all of 1 Peter. But, I mean, specifically, I mean, this this passage right here, this is like the thesis statement, if you will. It all comes together right here. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Whenever we hurt, we remember, don't be surprised. Christ, Christ did it. We we're following him. Remember, we can rejoice because he's with us. And then we do what is right. And why? What do we do? We do what is right. Therefore, let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What does it mean to entrust your soul? It's exactly what we've covered. Remember God's promise. Delight in him. Entrust everything that you have to him. Let him be the foundation. Let him be your refuge. Let him be your source of strength when all seems lost. Let's, let him be your satisfaction and fulfillment. Not your job. Not Netflix or your loved ones. Instead, entrust your souls to God and do what is right. Rejoice in him. Live holy. And set an example for the non-believers who are hurting just as you are, but don't know what to do. This is my encouragement. This is my warning to you all whenever suffering does come and maybe you're in here and you're like everything's just doing okay i I, my family's doing okay my job's doing okay everything just seems good and fine i'm i'm just worshiping god right now everything seems perfect i would urge you to simply look to the person to your left and right and ask them how are they doing ask how you can pray for them and don't just, don't just take that surface level. Instead, really press in and see how you can help them. Let your heart hurt for them. I urge you, entrust your souls and do what is right. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you for, you've shown so much grace. And whenever we think of judgment, we cannot we cannot but help think of how you've saved us. And I pray, that, I pray that we'll be comforted by your presence here and be comforted knowing that one day we'll see you face to face. Father, we're about to take communion and I pray that we'll just rejoice knowing your promise that you have never left us, but will also feel the call to go out into the world and to show you among all the nations.
I pray that we'll do what is right and remember your word and rejoice in your word. Thank you, Christ. And everything that you've already done and everything that you're going to do. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.